Welcome to the Whistleblower Report Vaccine Report today with headlines the media has not been telling you from around the world, across the US, in Europe, Sweden, uh, UK, America, and the world. There is so much going on behind the scenes that we are working hard to bring you this new information to help you take better steps to protect yourself and your freedom. This is Dr. Lee for America. You can listen to the Whistleblower Report every day on CloudHub at truthforhealth.org, on the America Out Loud Talk radio network, iHeart, and Rumble. And our guests today are my vaccine report experts from Inside Pharma and from our Dr. Mike Yeadon and Dr. Jonathan Gilthorpe with Headley Reese, bringing you career pharmaceutical researchers, immunologists, microbiologists, and Headley as an expert in good manufacturing practices and proper distribution safety standards. And we'll be bringing you a lot of, of very important information throughout the course of the show. But I wanted to give you a couple of headlines that the media hasn't told you in the past week or so. Number one, the CDC director just recently finally admitted that vaccine, vaccinated people can still spread COVID. And that was a lie from the beginning that the vaccine would prevent transmission. Finally, the CDC director is telling the truth too late for too many people who've gotten the shot when they were trying to do the right thing. And then Naomi Wolf has brought out more details from the Pfizer documents about the devastating impact on pregnancy and fertility. She has been working with a team of people to analyze the Pfizer documents and now concludes that there was clearly a deliberate intent to sterilize the next generation. Her latest findings and discussion on, which will be in the show notes for you to access it, but her discussions with four independent doctors report on more than 20 different ways that Pfizer knew and intentionally planned to damage women's menstrual health, which of course affects their fertility, and the myriad of ways that the COVID shots and the mRNA technology, lipid nanoparticle damage, spike protein damage, interfere with the development of the placenta, leading to pregnancy loss, miscarriages. And in addition, the fact that adverse events in 54% of pregnant women included fetal deaths, rapid heartbeat in babies requiring early delivery and hospitalization of the newborn baby in a NICU, neonatal deaths, respiratory distress, pneumothorax, collapse of the lung. It has been a devastating picture and the OBGYN community is finally coming out, slamming Pfizer as a plot against babies and women. And these links will be in our show notes today for you to check. And then 
a re-awareness of a warning that Robert F. Kennedy made in September 2020, three years ago. Big Pharma profits, not from the vaccines themselves, but from selling remedies for vaccine injuries. And his staggering statistic, which is coming back out again in social media, it had been pretty well censored in 2020, Quote, they're making 60 billion a year selling us vaccines, but they're making 500 billion a year selling the remedies for the injuries caused by the vaccines. He said, if you can give somebody that vaccine and make them diabetic for life, then you've got a permanent customer, end quote. And that is what we're seeing medically. Treatment of the vaccine-induced injuries from these experimental COVID shots is requiring multiple prescription medications as well as nutraceuticals and minerals and vitamins and supplements and other treatments that are becoming more and more costly to our health systems and taxpayer dollars to treat the injuries. And all the while, big pharma, especially Pfizer, is laughing all the way to the bank. 500 billion a year selling the drugs that we have to use to treat their vaccine injuries. America, it is staggering the damage that has been unfolding. And I know that Dr. Mike Eden and Dr. Gilthorpe and Hadley Reese all have comments on all of this. And I just wanted to set the stage with some of the things we're going to be talking about, including the surreptitious WHO regulations that have come to light that have covered up Big Pharma's lack of proper licensing for the manufacturer of these experimental shots, and what's going on at the WHO, what's going on at 10 Downing Street in London, where Hedley Reese recently testified and gave interviews, and what's going on with the next pandemic. So stay tuned. We have a lot to talk about today. Welcome, Dr. Eden, Dr. Gilthorpe, and Hedley Reese. Thank you all for being here. Thank you, Dr. Lee. Um, well, yeah, perhaps I could lead off. Uh, I've just spent the weekend in Tallinn, which is the capital of Estonia, uh, on the eastern side of the Baltic Sea from Sweden. Uh, and that was a conference which was organized by a, um, a doctor's association or a medical professionals association in uh, Estonia, um, similar to the Stockholm conference that we had back in January. Uh, there were some really good speakers there. Jessica Rose was there. Tess Laurie from World uh, Council for Health spoke. Um, a couple of things that I'd like to pick up on from the conference, actually. One is Alexandra uh, Henri and Corday, who's a French, well, she's retired now, I think, but she was previously a French professor of genetics in France. She's written a book in French called The Sorcerer's Apprentice. So her area of expertise is mRNA and microRNAs, and she's been very outspoken against the, the mRNA vaccines and their potential damages for quite some time. But she's written this book called The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Sorcerer's Apprentice, which is a popular science book, and it's number two in the charts in France now. 
Uh, she'd given it to some friends to read. They criticized it because it had words in like chromosome, you know, quite technical terms that not everyone understands. So she rewrote it for the lay audience. And now it's number two in the French charts. And it's causing quite a stir, I think. She's getting a lot of criticism for that. But that's that's really good because she's managed to get the message out. Um, what else? Well, I, I think the most important thing to mention is we've talked before about the role the World Health Organization has played in the pandemic and also their plans to take over essentially control of the world in the event of uh, a pandemic health emergency of international concern, as they call it. So what they declared for COVID-19 and which they still have running even uh, three years, three and a half years after they declared the first uh, pandemic emergency, it's still um, ongoing. Uh, and I, just to reflect on that, so what happened was the, the WHO called the pandemic they made, I think, $500 million off pandemic insurance bonds that they had taken out before that, which meant that if they called the pandemic, it got paid out. And then they've kept the world under essentially lockdown conditions or enabled governments to provide that to their populations for the last three and a half years. And now they're trying to gain even more control through these amendments to the international health regulations and the pandemic treaty, which are overlapping instruments which will now give if if they go through in 2024 in may they will give the world health organization the director general a single person absolute control dictatorial control over the world in the event of a pandemic which they themselves would define um it could even be a suspicion of a pandemic and as they're trying to combine this with something that the who called one health which involves not just humans but all animals and the environment, they could also call a pandemic emergency or a health emergency based on, you know, CO2 or um, bird flu or, or something which has no direct effect on humans. Um, so, the, you know, basically the, the director general of the WHO could become the most powerful dictator the world has ever seen if these things go through. Well, there was a speech from a very, very talented lawyer called Sylvia Berendt, who's an Austrian lawyer. She previously worked uh, for the um, WHO, or, and she was an expert on international health regulations. So she understands this. She is an expert in the field. Uh, she's now working for something called the Global Health Responsibility Agency. So her idea is how can we ensure organizations like the who work for our health instead of uh essentially you know they're funded by big pharma and by gates so they're, they're basically doing the the at the beck and call of the pharma industry and governments uh, so how can we turn this around so so the who now do what they're meant to do and, and protect health instead of uh, driving pandemics so she's uncovered the fact that the who have already got the instruments that they need to to basically choose vaccines, select vaccines ahead of time, as soon as one of these pandemic health emergencies is, con is called, there's an instrument that they have called the Emergency Use Assessment and Listing Mechanism, which has enabled them. They've used it under COVID-19. They're now starting to use it in Africa for an Ebola outbreak, which is there's two Ebola outbreaks they've listed on their homepage as being potential uh, pandemics or, or international health 
um, concern events. So they're then what they're then able to do is is um, engage manufacturers of vaccines, screen through them, uh, give them money, uh, promote them, and let them develop those all out of the framework of a normal drug development, which Headley would, you know, he's much more expert in what that requires, but essentially they can, they can produce anything and, and release anything without it being appropriately tested, uh, without having the appropriate manufacturing um, and GMP stringency that's normally required for any uh, medical product. Um, and, and this is what I think they've used this un, under the COVID-19 uh, pandemic in order to authorize it both in Europe perhaps also in the UK, uh, maybe also in the US, although the US seems to have used a different mechanism with this other trans transactional authority. Um, but I think what they've done is they've used this already. It, it's a whole level of regulation and law that the, most of the world's population are not even aware of that it exists. And it's been actively used to um, promote pandemics, basically, and, and the, the treatments that are going to be enforced on the population because of them. And that bypasses all the regulatory standards of each major country, correct? If based on what we've seen in COVID, if these were used in COVID, which it appears they were, then it's bypassing our customary regulations. Yeah, I'll just read a couple of excerpts from it, Dr. Lee, if I can. It says so. In, in the document that covers this, and I'll provide the link to that, it says, it is very likely that when the assessment of a product under the emergency use listing procedure starts, there will be no official WHO standards or national regulatory guidelines that are fully applicable to a specific unlicensed product. The prioritization process for the development of a specific product uh, for product-specific WHO guidelines takes into account not only the priority list of diseases, they have this list of diseases that they you know, think will be the next pandemic, as per R&D blueprint, but also several other competing global public health needs. However, some WHO international and national guidelines that are of a more general nature, i.e. cell substances, substrates for vaccine production, virus inactivation, and others, may be used for the assessment of products that are in development and for which there are no product-specific published WHO or NRA guidelines. If considered necessary or desirable by the applicant and WHO, a discussion may be held between the applicant and WHO before the actual evaluation process starts. These pre-submission exchanges may be done via a chosen method of communication, including face-to-face -face meetings. So they've essentially, the way I read this document is they have a framework there where they can do whatever they want and put it through under a pandemic health emergency of international concern. And there's no liability for the who or anyone else. And, and that's why I think we've tried very hard last year or so to get the manufacturing authorization documents for Pfizer's drug, Comirnaty, because it doesn't seem that when it was manufactured, the sites were authorized to do that as they should have been. And I think this is why. I think they've basically um, they've used this instrument to do it. They had no liability, but they haven't told anyone about it. It's staggering. And the words that jumped out at me from what you read were the phrase, no standards. They bypassed no. the testing, the good manufacturing standards, the distribution, safety, 
standards, no standards. Yeah. yeah. And if you look on the, the documents that the WHO has for Marburg and they're, you know, they're trying to develop vaccines for Marburg. Or there are some vaccines in phase one trials, but, you know, there's no one to test Marburg vaccines on. So they'll accept animal trials and the fact that Marburg is such a deadly disease as a way to approve Marburg vaccines, but they're already pre-selecting which ones they're going to use in the event of a Marburg outbreak. I mean, there is an outbreak now, but mm. I mean, well, they've said there was, which is their pretext yeah. Yeah. for forcing this on people. Yeah, and so all the all the Marburg. I'll just say one more thing. Sorry, all the Marburg vaccines in trials are all viral vaccines, adenoviral or other things. So there was no way they can manufacture them at scale if there was a very large outbreak of Marburg, which there wouldn't normally be because it's a very aggressive virus and it self limits. But let's say it was spread deliberately, they wouldn't have enough vaccines to cover that. So BioNTech, Pfizer have already now established early in, I think, March this year, eight containers in uh, Rwanda, which is going to be a vaccine, mRNA vaccine production facility with it, they say within the next 12 months. Oh, my God. Oh. So I think the way it's going to play out is we'll have a new pandemic. It'll be something very deadly like Marburg, probably starting in Africa because they're the ones that didn't accept COVID. And then the mRNA vaccines will come to the rescue. Uh, and then because of this legislation that's already there, that who has it, they'll just be able to say, well, we'll run with mRNA because we can't do it with the viral vaccines. Well, and Rwanda is not exactly known for top quality manufacturing standards. Can I just make a couple of quick comments um, on, on just on the WHO, just very quickly. What one uh, I would say, just point out to people, as I've said before in interviews, it's irrational to center decision making in the hands of one organization and ultimately one person, one man, that's the head of the WHO. And the reason is, folks, if you're just listening to this, please, uh, by definition, we, the concern would be for a, an outbreak of a novel disease. That means no one, repeat, nobody knows what's the optimal thing to do. Now, human beings are pretty good. Um, historically, we've learned quickly by innovating where we are, doing the best we, we can where we are, uh, and communicating. And after a while, you've, you've essentially run lots of experiments and you work out what works well and you tell everybody and then they decide whether or not to use that. That will stop. If the WHO has complete control, they will impose upon you whatever solution suits their other uh, sponsors' objectives. And I suspect they will want to vaccinate everybody. So it's irrational anyway to center it and that's that's amongst other reasons why i oppose the who treaty it's not it's not just about uh, you know break, breaching sovereignty and so on it's just literally mad if you imagine if you have a brand new outbreak of an uncharacterized serious disease the last thing you want is to let one person who doesn't know the answer work out the answer you'd, you'd want to have every country's public health people and scientists collaborating to, to help their people. Also, the solution you'd want in Norway is fairly unlikely to be the optimal solution for Nigeria, right? But you're going to get whatever they give you. So that's one objection. Second thing to say uh, is, and Hedley would, would, I'm sure, echo this, the WHO has no competence or staff to assess, uh, adjudge, uh, adjudicate, and rule good any medicines they just don't have the people they're pretending that they're regulators they're not they don't have the competence to do it and thirdly 
I have to point out biologically, and Jonathan just touched on this, uh, pandemics are not some new hazard that has just come to light since Bill Gates started talking about them. And diseases that are ultimately extremely lethal tend to be self-limiting. So certainly the, uh, uh, the uh, hemorrhagic viruses that, that kill a high proportion of those who are infected are not aerosol transmitted. I mean, frankly, you have to step back uh, if you're if you're a family member and you choose to tend that person, you're quite likely to get infected. You may die, uh, but if you basically you only you just need to step back and these things burn themselves out. And the record has been in the past never more than two countries having small outbreaks, you know, a few hundred people at a time. You, it's not the millions and billions of people. So they're they're lying to you. And the things that form very large. Um, uh, widespread across the face of the globe are things that don't mind very much, like we don't mind very much, like the common cold. And that's because you can transmit it while staying on your feet and keeping to going to work and mixing with people. Uh, and then something in the middle like flu get, tends to be a middling position. You don't get everybody infected. And certainly with very serious diseases, you, you get hardly anyone infected because they drop you within, within a few days of becoming, becoming infected. So so, so the, this this uh, policy, the this two treaty that will seed from countries the the ability to decide for you, the citizen, is is an absolute disgrace and an affront on every single level. So that was well, what I wanted to say. It's it's a chilling, chilling scenario. Tedros, the current um, director general of the WHO, has zero medical background. It's right. not just that the WHO doesn't have the experts, as you mentioned. Tedros has zero medical background. Yeah, he's he, not a scientist or a doctor. He's not he's a, a scientist, not a doctor, and he has no public health experience. He was installed to be a puppet mm. director general to make announcements that the global elites and the communist Chinese party wanted made for controlling the world and creating world tyranny. That's right. the bottom line. And yes. when you and Dr. Gilthorpe, just for our listeners to understand, when you and Dr. Gilthorpe use the term that very lethal viruses like Marburg and Ebola are self-limiting, what we mean medically by that is they cause death in so many people so fast that they don't spread. You have to have viruses that don't kill people in order to spread to more people. That's just common sense. But the public has been led to believe and terrorized with the campaign of fear that these viruses like, like Marburg and Ebola spread rapidly. No, they don't. And you're, you're both experts in the field as immunology, microbiology, pharmacology training, that, that this is not how they work. And I wanted to emphasize that again, because we have to dampen down the fear. And yeah. I know that we want to talk. And let me just say to everyone listening, do not give in to the fear about Marburg. There are treatments available. You only contract Marburg illness with direct contact with the bodily fluids of infected people. And that means semen, vaginal secretions, blood, for example. 
as Dr. Eden just said, Marburg and Ebola are not aerosolized respiratory viruses like COVID and the common cold and influenza. Critically important that you keep that in mind. There are treatments available. We have them summarized on our website, truthforhealth.org. Click on medical and legal help. Click on medical fact sheets. And about the third or fourth one down after you put in your email so we can send you updates is the Marburg hemorrhagic fever fact sheet that goes through what they are, how you get infected, how you protect yourself, and how you can be treated with existing medications. This is critical. We're going to talk more in the second half about what Headley Reese has to bring us in breaking news from his visit to 10 Downing Street. And we're going to be continuing to talk about the headlines the media has not told you. We're going to come back after the break. This is Dr. Lee for America with the Whistleblower Report Vaccine Report with Dr. Mike Eden, Dr. Jonathan Gilthorpe, and Headley Reese. And we will be back after the break. Check out our website, www.truthforhealth.org. And check out Inside Pharma on Substack, where you'll get revelations that the media is not telling you about all that's going on inside pharma that is jeopardizing your health. We will be right back. Welcome back to the second half of the vaccine report on the Truth for Health Foundation whistleblower report every day, Monday through Friday, 12 noon and 12 midnight Eastern time on America Out Loud, Cloud Hub, Rumble, and truthforhealth.org. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Stay tuned. There's more coming. Headley? you have an update from your visit to 10 Downing Street in London just this past week. So tell us what is going on on the UK front and help our listeners understand all that you're doing to warn those in powers of the dangers of the total lack of any safety and good manufacturing practices in the manufacture of these experimental mRNA shots. Hi, Dr. Lee. I think firstly, I'll endorse what Jonathan and, and Mike have said. Um, gosh, the who doesn't know anything about drug development. It's a totally rogue organization. They've been duplicating regulatory bodies, documents for years and years, and it's a major issue. So I just wanted to start with that because um, we take the WHO, then we take the Bill Gates investment in the WHO, then we take the Bill uh, Melinda Gates Foundation investment in the United Kingdom because uh, Gates employs the former chief executive officer of the MHRA. So effectively, he runs both the MHRA in the UK and the European Medicines Agency through his connections. So we're now left with the fact that we don't have the independent regulatory bodies that we used to have. 
we have the Gates script that they all have to follow. And it's a huge concern because the regulations are there because if you don't develop, manufacture and distribute medicinal products to the right standards, you are going to kill people. You know, people forget that a medicine is like a, a plane, a car, a silicon chip. It has to be manufactured and it has to go through various stages of manufacture. And over the years, the pharma industry has outsourced all its development and manufacture to third party contractors such as Lonza and Catalan Pharma Solutions. So these contractors work on, on a fee-for-service basis, so they get paid whether the drug is approved or not, which in itself is not, not, not a good thing. So these are the issues. We have an industry now that has become rogue, if you like, in terms of it hasn't been making, and Jonathan mentioned this earlier, it hasn't been able to make the profits expected of it by its investors because it doesn't have the ability now to develop its own drugs. So it has become desperate and it started to focus on gene therapies, which are still very investigational, experimental, and cannot be manufactured at scale. And they've ignored all the regulations and are just doing what we know is happening now. So. Um, yeah, the visitor 10 Downing Street. I'm working with a group called uh, the Perseus Group, which is a cross-functional group of medics, um, scientists, um, you know, GPs, and uh, a whole range of people who together, when you put all their knowledge and skills together, they become a whole. And um, the group wrote uh, a report which has gone to um, to 10 down the street, which we delivered um, uh, last Friday. I think it was it's all a bit haze now. But uh, we, we had an excellent reception at 10 down the street. The police and everyone there was was really good. We went in, we were allowed to knock the door 10 down the street, the door opened, and there was a gentleman there to receive the um the um package that we had of, of signed uh, petitions uh, so it was the Perseus group it was together foundation which is headed by Alan Miller again all heavily um against what's happening with the MHRA uh, and the petition was about how the MHRA is not fit for purpose uh, it happens that my experience uh, with the Global Outsourcing Conference in Cincinnati, which was FDA um, co-sponsored with Xavier University in Cincinnati, we used to have a, an MRHA speaker every year, senior speaker. They knew their stuff. They were good. And uh, I sat next to a gentleman called Mark Burrs, who was head of inspections at MHRA, on the bus going up to the Sinta Center in Cincinnati. We had a good conversation. And after that, he was going to visit the FDA to talk about global harmonization. He and the rest of them have all left. And MHRA now is populated by juniors, 
people who really don't understand drug development. They've been through uh, virtual drug inspections. So they've been taught to inspect facilities at their desk when uh, the company they're inspecting is using Microsoft HoloLens 2. And, and these are virtual reality, you know, the, the, you put a, a camera on your head and, and they walk around and they, sh they show you what they want to show you. But you cannot inspect a facility like that. There's, there's no substitute for a physical inspection. And, you know, FDA particularly has got very experienced uh, inspectors. And they've been to some of the facilities and they have found very grave deficiencies, but they've been ignored. And I can send you the links to the um, the the form uh, 483s that the, the FDA inspectors fill in to explain the deficiencies. And I can send you various other links to go in the notes that really I think will will horrify people. So uh, just to finish there, I'm really grateful to the Perseus Group because they allowed me to go onto GB News, an alternate um, uh, UK media program, where I could say what I'm saying now, say my piece that the MHRA is not for purpose. And there was one of Bill Gates's paid lackeys on the on the program, a lecturer from uh, University of Exeter, I don't know his name, I can post that, who was claiming that these vaccines are perfectly safe and effective and MHRA is squeaky clean. So I hope that makes sense. Well, it it doesn't make sense for the public safety, but your explanation of the going rogue, it does is clear and it it is very chilling. I, I hope that our listeners are paying attention to how devastatingly damaging this is to people's health when there is no inspection, no fixing of grievous manufacturing deficiencies they're finding. They're, they're ignored, as you said, and there are no standards for the proper distribution. You've explained before that they are actually allowing pharmacies and hospitals to finish the processing of these experimental shots on site in facilities that have none of the required safety standards and equipment to do it properly. New Energy HPN 300 Hadley, your comments? Yeah, I I totally agree, doc, Dr. Lee. The, the main issue for me is that, you know, there's so much censorship. This people aren't getting the proper messages of what's happening. And I keep going back to the fact that, you know, if a, if a car company developed a car 10 times quicker than it's ever been developed before, 10 times quicker, and there was no explanation as to how they had done it, you know, would you get into that car and drive it anywhere? You, you wouldn't because you'd say, well, no other company has done that. So what have you done to be able to speed it up 10 times? And they've done nothing. 
they've done nothing. They've just ignored all the 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 the, the best practices and the, the the processes that you need to make any physical product. They just ignored them. So if this was the food industry, say, and uh, the food industry has decided, well, hygiene is not that important. We won't think too much about that. And, you know, uh, contamination, well, what's contamination, you know? Uh, and, you know, let's just uh, let's just combine those two things together. They, 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 they won't sort of react or, you, you know, it's hard to explain the scale of what's happened here. And um, I, I am lost, I'm totally lost for words, to be honest. Well, it is, it is beyond our comprehension as normal people, because this is not normal. It is an evil design. And Dr. Yin, you have spoken very strongly about this evil design. Comment more about this. They know exactly yeah. what they're doing. Yeah, they do know. They know exactly what they're doing. And quite early on, in 2020, I, probably I didn't really quite realize it at the moment of first lockdown, but I've said to people that I only need to go back to what we knew at the occasion of first lockdown because the imposition of uh, restrictions uh, were known not to be useful in preventing transmission because it's only people who are ill, people with symptoms that can transmit them to other people, and they are already at home ill. You know, if it's a flu-like illness, they're already at home ill or worse. So locking down uh, uh, healthy people, nobody ever thought that was going to work. That was simply a ruse, which the media used. And as Headley said, censorship of people like me saying, hold on a minute, that's just completely crazy. We were not allowed to speak and we're still not allowed to speak. So I'm just telling you folks that the lockdowns were just completely fraud and the people who ordered them knew they didn't work, but they thought they could get away with it and they could because they had uh, the people um, uh, shilling for them on the media for money. They had experts from universities shilling for money. Uh, and so they reinforced things that were crazy. And so when I combined those things, they were closing the economy for no benefit against a hazard that, that either was minor or didn't exist, take your pick. I could see that that could not possibly produce any benefits. All it would do is damage the economy, smash civil society. And, and I could see, because they said so, it was going to run up by the end of the year with a mass injection policy. And, and again, I hadn't met Headley at that time, but I already knew damn fine. You can't make a complicated uh, biological product in a few months. I knew it took years. Um, and so they were going to inject us with something that was uh, uh, dangerous at the very least. It wasn't just about money, because the people who have organized this and the people who must have signed it off, if you're just going to close an economy with no other changes, the people who signed this off must have been the people who controlled the assets and capital in the world. It's not. And then remember, all the countries went into lockdown within days or weeks of each other, of that being a policy that was never mentioned in any of their local pandemic preparedness plans. So by March 23rd, 2020, Yeadon here had enough information to work out that we were under murderous attack, but it probably wasn't until the summer that the pennies dropped and I allowed myself to believe that what my intellect was telling me was actually happening. But one last thing I want to mention on regulators, because I hadn't quite seen this, that the structure of the institutions that protect us is being ripped apart. Uh, a few weeks ago, when the MHRA, the regulator, medicines regulator in the UK came under a lot of pressure 
about what they knew and when they approved, uh, you know, they authorized uh, the the uh, vaccine. They said one of them said, on this occasion, the minister, the relevant minister of Her, Her Majesty's government, did not repeat, did not delegate his authority to approve these medicines to us. So just to say briefly, the, a relevant minister of the crown, I think it'll probably be the minister for health, holds the authority to authorize. Uh, medicines. Now, they're not competent to do so. And what they do historically is delegate that authority to uh, a historically competent body called the MHRA. But someone in the MHRA under pressure said, uh, well, actually, on this occasion, the minister didn't delegate authority. Now, I took a few steps back and had to sit down. What that meant is the regulator told me that the Minister for Health themselves authorized the release of these vaccines a person probably with a politics degree or a degree in history or classics and greats that's how bad it's got folks matt hancock in the uk will probably had a bit of paper pushed in front of him from permanent secretary a civil servant saying sign this minister everything is fine now it turns out from catherine watt a legal scholar's work in the us that the fda also didn't uh, didn't uh, review and authorize the vaccines the human uh, the Health and Human Services Secretary uh, did so. I think Alex Azar, uh, also a person with, um, my guess is, with no PhD, MD, regulatory experience. And I think the same has happened in the EMA. Maybe someone could let us know. But my guess is that Ursula von der Leyen signed it off because we pinned the EMA, European Medicines Agency, down, Sasha Latipova and I, around the time of approval. And it was obvious they were all over the place. They, they, they knew they shouldn't authorize these things. They, they didn't have the specs required. They were actually changing the specifications that would be acceptable during the period of initial review and up to the point of authorization. So the bottom line is, and a couple of colleagues have said this already, the very structures that protect you, inform you, keep you safe uh, are broken. And um, if we don't find some way of rising up peacefully, and putting these things back, uh, society's gonna come apart and it's an evil plan. It really is. And actually to say that they are broken implies accidental um, lack of function. And yeah. that is not the case. That is no. what you're saying. That's what Dr. Gilthorpe's saying. That's what Hedley Reese is saying. None of this, was accidental or incompetence or stupidity. It was broadly planned, carefully yeah. and meticulously and diabolically designed over at least the last 20 to 25 years. Yes, yes, definitely. Uh, certainly where it comes to, uh, you know, I've argued with people about how pandemics are not suddenly a new threat. And by the way, if you think back through your whole lives, folks, I'm 63. Uh, I don't. I don't remember there being a pandemic or even a threat of a pandemic that would that would result in the world needing to be locked down. Not that that works anyway. Uh, and then when I look back through the dim and distant reaches into history, I was told there was one in 1918. Although I've gone to look at that, and lots of people doubt that that's actually true. And there's quite a lot of evidence that the claim that it was the most serious event since the Black Death in 1918 may actually not even be true. Sorry, folks. So 
uh, it seems that certainly for the last century, because we certainly haven't had a pandemic recently, this was just a lie. And I actually don't think the world is subject to severe pandemics. Uh, possibly if, if people manufacture, you know, biologically manipulated organisms, I suppose it could happen. But my, my ever-growing belief is that the, the biggest, the most potent weapon in, in this uh, evil uh, attack upon us is fear. And, and Dr. Leah said it, and I reinforce it, don't give them your fear. I actually don't think there's anything to be frightened of other than the responses of the government to the claims about what's happening and our reactions as frightened individuals. So if you're not frightened, and just look them straight in the eye and say, I don't believe you. I think that's BS. Um, and, and go and tell other people there's nothing to be frightened of. Don't go and run into the vaccination centre. They're definitely not suitable as agents to be injected into human beings. We should be able to bring this to 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 a close. And, and also, uh, I often feel a bit embarrassed saying this because I'm supposed to be a scientist, but I'm also a human. And what's happened to me over the last three years is a, a very clear realisation that we need to turn towards back towards our creator and, and stop, you know, pay attention to where we came from. Listen to the voice inside yourself. Uh, and, and do the things we've been told to do. And, and apparently my wife tells me that the, the most common phrase in the Bible is, you know, be not afraid. So that, that's my little bit as a non, as a speaking as a human and not a scientist. I, I think we need to turn back to our creators in order to turn these people away. They are evil and they can be defeated. I think you're exactly right. And the biblical message is a critical one for all of us to turn back to, and that's been the basis of our Faith Over Fear programs every Tuesday night to focus on what we can learn to empower us with the knowledge that will help us to overcome the weapon of fear that is assaulting us by design. That is how totalitarian regimes have always controlled populations is through fear, intimidation, lies, and deception. Your thoughts on all of this as we wrap out today's, wrap up today's show, I want everybody to understand that all of our speakers today risk everything by bringing you the truth. They are not paid like our controllers are paid and making big bucks to bring us lies. Our team is risking personal and professional risk to bring you the truth. Your closing thoughts, Dr. Gilthorpe, Headley, and Dr. Eden. Uh, yeah, I think it's very wise words of Mike. Uh, Dr. Lee, I mean, historically, the only time that we've had such serious pandemics that they have, you know, led to a change in society, for example, the Black Death, which circulated several times in the Middle Ages, that really did transform society. But it was a bacterial disease, and it was transmitted through fleas. Um, you know, so they had no hygiene and no public no hygiene health, as no, well. Yeah, no so, sanitation. I mean, yeah. And historically, when those pandemics arrive, it's really when geo geologically the world goes under a, a tumultuous period. So volcanic activity, years without summer, poor crop yields, starvation, et cetera, et cetera. 
So if we really did want to protect against future pandemics, we'd be we'd be really looking to the future to say, you know, when would the world suffer such a geological catastrophe that we would need to plan for this? And we're not. We're just, you know, putting everything onto electricity and and actually more or less ensuring that if, if there is a catastrophe, we're going to suffer and go back to the Stone Age. Um, and the last thing I would say is in Europe, it's not the EMA, the FDA, that actually provided the emergency youth authorization. They recommended it to the European Commission, which is the, you know, the, 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 the government of the EU. They're the ones that made the emergency youth authorization. I didn't realize this until this ah, week. The politicians mm-hmm. are deciding over what should be approved as a medicine and not professionals that actually have the experience to do that. That's frightening. I did not know that. No, me neither. There has it, been so yeah, much that we need to hold our politicians to account, basically, and, and, and we're not. But that's what people can do. I hope yeah. all of our listeners are paying attention. This is going to be we the people around the world standing against this tyranny and this evil attack on our lives and our freedom. Stand against tyranny. Look at what the French are doing. Look at where the Dutch farmers, the Canadian truckers, all of the people in many countries that are standing against tyranny. America, get off the couch. Stand up, speak out. Hold the elected representatives accountable for their actions that are taking your lives and your freedom. Headley, your comments. Uh, well, I would say uh, this is a physical world. It's not a virtual world. Now, a lot of this is about artificial intelligence, virtual reality. When those French farmers or whoever protests and does physical things to, to, to resist, that makes a big impact. And we have lost contact with the fact that we've got two arms, two legs. It's still 4,000 miles for me to get to the US from here. And all this stuff about, you know, we can do these things, these things digitally, it doesn't mean anything. So I, I would say that we have got to get back to our core understanding that we are living human beings that do not want to be directed, controlled by higher authorities that we know nothing about. So that's what I would say. Thank you. Very good point. Everyone seems to be focused on virtual reality instead of exactly the point you just made. And as we wrap up today, America, I want you to listen to this summary of what the most corrupt pharmaceutical company on earth has done to humanity around the world. Pfizer hasn't accepted any liability for its product, knowing from their clinical trials, it could be fatal. Pfizer knew the shots were ineffective and dangerous based on their own trials. Pfizer lied to us about the fact that the shots stopped transmission. 
Pfizer tried to prevent the data from their clinical trials from being public for 75 years to cover up the fact that all of this information, including over 1,291 adverse effects of their mRNA shots were known in the clinical trials. They tried to hide it. It was a courageous judge that brought that, ordered those documents be released. And Dr. Naomi Wolf has assembled a whole team of researchers analyzing those Pfizer documents and reporting them on the daily clout. Pfizer bankrolled government officials and, and the media to promote their shots. They captured big tech to prevent individual testimony from all of us people, average we the people, trying to shine a light on the suffering and harm to people from these shots. Pfizer helped to suppress all of the alternative treatments that doctors like me were using and helping save lives. Pfizer didn't even send their shots to countries that couldn't pay for them. Pfizer conducted directed evolution studies as their own whistleblowers were caught on hidden camera, admitting to, bragging about, laughing about. Pfizer has, well, we just have a news release this week that Pfizer bribed over 400 medical organizations regarding the vaccines that they were pushing on all of us. They funded pro-mandate groups and vaccine passport groups. They funded governments to promote 24-7 propagation of propaganda to promote their products. And as we said, quoting Robert F. Kennedy Jr. at the beginning of today's broadcast, they were making 60 billion profit on their mRNA shots and $500 billion continuing profits on all the drugs to treat the complications of the shots. There is no way that we can look at this as anything other than an evil diabolical assault on humanity and our lives. Time to stand against the evil. Silence in the face of evil is itself evil. Speak up and stand up and let's stop the medical tyranny by the WHO, global elites, and big pharma trying to kill us. This is Dr. Lee for America. We'll be back again with another whistleblower report tomorrow. Share this. You may save lives by sharing this information. Go to our website, truthforhealth.org, sign up for our alerts, and donate to support all of our outreach work that we're doing to save lives. Thank you for being with us today.